بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم لا سهل إلا ما جعلته سهلا وأنت تجل الحزن إذا شئت سهلا اللهم أعنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب الكريم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Alright, so um, today we're going to be doing um, quite possibly first time actually doing a chapter and completing the chapter in the same in the same session quite possibly quite possibly uh, because it's a um, it's a very short one although frankly we could make it longer than what it uh, what it is in the book but you know let's see but there's two things I wanted to uh, uh, mention before we start we start on page 408 there are no notes for this one okay I didn't get the time uh, because of things um, to write the notes but it's, it's nothing uh, uh, minor a bit low huh Turn the volume. I, I don't know I, I don't know if we, we, we mess around with it too much uh, today I don't think so uh, yeah, you can you can play around with it. Let let them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You try it and let let uh, let folks you know comment. Guys on online, please comment every ten twenty seconds on the volume because Shazad is going up and down and he's uh, checking to get the right gain. Uh, whatever. All right, there's two things. The first thing I, I wanted to speak about is well, the, 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 the one thing I wanted to just say something about last week's lesson. But the first thing I want to uh, speak about is, you know, some people have a huck upon us. Uh, you know, you know, equality. The reason it's such a joke that that people talk about equality, men and women and is that even women are not equal and even men aren't equal. Forget about men and women equal, right? This whole concept of equality is such a nonsense. It's such a nonsense, right? And we are not the same in many different ways. Whether you're looking at, at folks, you know, with respect to abilities or capacities or whatever. We are different in so many ways. And when people are different and they are different according to the standards of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then they are praised and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran that what is the differentiating factor between people is taqwa and taqwa is a very difficult kind of measure to measure right it's a difficult characteristic to identify and to see and whatever but ultimately subhanallah you know when the Prophet ﷺ said that this ummah would not agree on dalala, on misguidance, what that's basically saying is that there are certain things and that the, that, that, that the people will be like tending towards that will give everybody that kind of safety that, that yeah, I'm okay with this issue or this opinion or the like. And that's why despite how, uh, uh, how ignorant mankind is, how deficient mankind is, how corrupt mankind, mankind is, as we all know, right? Yet, the Prophet ﷺ said that you are addressing the people, the witnesses of Allah, upon the creation of Allah. 
Meaning that, uh, as the Prophet ﷺ said, that um, when Allah writes good for someone, and that person is good, then that, 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 that good is, is not just written in the land, but it's on the tongues of all the people. And we all know certain people, like when you think of like the criminals of life, like it's just wasting, we're wasting all of our times and we're, we're insulting the animals by saying he's a dog and he's a pig and he's a whatever, like a Netanyahu or like, a, like all the, the, the kuffar, you know, Arul Sharon, Shaitan, you know, all these things. It's not exactly, you know, an achievement to, to cuss someone. But what's interesting is how he's universally despised by his friends and his enemies, his, his own party, his water party. Yeah, like everybody despised him. Yeah, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has written disgust and disgrace. And that's something that can't be faked. It's something which is innate and it's put into the hearts of people. And I want to speak about the opposite. That when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala writes qubul for someone, then it doesn't matter what the, 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 the deficiencies of that person is. The fact that everybody has a soft spot or a love or whatever means that there's something special. And I want to speak about a man called Muhammad Anwar. Because he deserves to be spoken about. That, that's why. So it's not right that this happens right now and it's not going to fit the lesson and the flow and everything. But wallahi, he deserves to be praised and I need to stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying that I did my bit at least because he did plenty behind the scenes but the public needs to know because you know the public <sighs> we the public we don't have enough positive role models we don't have enough good news stories we don't have enough uh, and often we're always going back to the history books you know back in the old days they used to be like this they used to be like that you know uh, one of the things they said about um, about the family of Ali radiallahu and Hassan Hussein. They said that um, we didn't know what was happening until they passed away. And after they passed, then the, hung the hungry, they started then to queue and they started to beg. And it was then that we realized that in the lifetime, they were supporting 100 families, 200 families, 500 families, and things like that. And I was reflecting that with Anwar passing away, alayhi rahmatullah, with him passing away, how many people are going to be crying? And it's crazy. Wallah, it's crazy. Because there are so many people around the world that are part of his projects and things, and they just don't know, you know him in detail, but they know that you know, he's a funder, he's an investor, he's a this or that, whatever. He's the one who set up the project. So these people will will know and will feel the, the gap that's left behind him. So they'll be crying. But then I was looking at, um, I take my family as a subset, as a subset of the, of certainly the Manchester community. The Manchester, obviously, community is a big one. I mean, north, south, um, going out towards Greater Manchester, Middleton, Oldham, you know, he's very well known, Anwar. Um, there'll be people of all ages crying. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm sad that Bob's is not here. He's on his way now. 
I was speaking to Bob's, right? Bob's is what, 30, 35, 30 something, whatever, mm. right? Bob's, how old are you? How old are you? How old are you? 35. 35, yeah? So Bob's was saying earlier on that we were speaking about Anwar, and Anwar obviously, uh, just to, uh, I'll, I'll jump straight in. Anwar, um, he's uh, seven, he passed away yesterday, 75 maybe, whatever. Yeah, 75-ish. And um, yeah, he's been originally from Kenya, Pakistani, this, that, whatever, and lots of uh, 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 kind of uh, mixing there in terms of ethnicity, but Pakistani Kenyan basically. And his mom came to this country many years ago, and he came here as well many years ago. And he's a builder by trade. And he would build and then do projects and buy cheap things and sell them. And then he was able to then get to a position of wealth and then he'd invest. But he was still as sort of the earth working class as it gets. He's so not fitted the high life and he was like allergic to the high life. Okay. Um, and every single penny, I mean, I can tell you because I'm the trustee and I'm the executor of his will. So I don't mind telling you all of this. He doesn't have any cash, by the way. Right. Because you just give everything away everything right his extended family were uh, are paying for the costs of this and that whatever he's not short of wealth he's got plenty of assets but the point is that they've all been left behind for what right and he signed that ages ago and there's hardly anybody that won't know of him or his work and as a character and of course we don't praise anyone other than whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes clear to us should be praised but as I said to you before this is according to our knowledge and our understanding and I've known him intimately for the last 30 years and other people will as well. And it's interesting because when you mentioned the name Anwar, obviously I said this today at the Janazah, I said it at his grave, I said it here and there. He was a very, very well-known person for either one of two reasons. The first reason is because he was so blunt that he made me yani, look like a sharp knife. <laughs> okay, he was, he was as blunt as it gets. The second was his just immense generosity and kindness. And as I said to the people earlier on, he used to offend so many folks. My goodness me, he used to offend, he used to argue, he used to be such a yani, big temper. But he did what the Prophet said, do. That if you do something wrong, then follow it with good, with a hasana. And he, the difference with him is that he would do the good and he would follow it with floods of good deeds like just just like it wouldn't stop um, and the reason that I'm gonna give him his time in this class is because he deserves it he deserves a dua from all of you once you hear his story and um, you also need to know that he's fundamental in all of these stuff that we do in terms of motivating financially everything from the very beginning like I, I will tell you that when I came to Manchester it's like if you look at three key figures to give you an idea, Shaykh Hamoud Rahman and his brother Naim Rahman, who are the two Imams of Makki Masjid, they came from Pakistan via Saudi and so on, around about 30 odd years ago, plus minus. And then Shaykh Ihlan, he came from Iraq via Pakistan, plus minus, about 30 years ago. And I came to study in Manchester from London, plus minus, about 30 years ago. We all came, you know, in that period of time. Dawah was, this is mid-90s, early 90s, and Dawah was buzzing, 
and everything was, you know, uh, just the pre-9-11 days, a different world. Um, but obviously we were all three of us uh, uh, in very, uh, you know, way out of our comfort zone. We're foreigners to the land. And so obviously we were practicing. And so our mode of social interaction was the masjid. And in the masjid, when you're new, you're always, you know, trying to look out for people that can get you in, uh, you know, take you in effectively. And you gravitate towards certain people. I've always had a very bad temper. Unfortunately, everybody knows. Yeah. And since I was young and all the way through until now, I get angry quick, but I also calm down very quick. And I and what's best my, you know, when I die, remember, don't forget my best characteristic. Okay. My best characteristic is I forget very quick as well. So a person will be, you know, hesitant around me, like, you know, whatever. And I, what the hell are you playing? What's going on? They go, oh yeah, because you were swearing this, that, saying this, that, mom, dad, blah, 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 yesterday. And I go, don't be silly, I would never say anything like that. He goes, oh. <laughs> so I do, I genuinely forget. But, you know, I do get garam very quick. And I found this guy was my absolute, yani, ideal guy. He would kick off and he would expect me to kind of back down like everybody else would. And then Adam would make me even angrier. And then I'd kick off right back. Then he realized that he'd got his match and I had his respect. From the first day, he was the one person. <laughs> this is the irony. <laughs> if we compare these three, <laughs> this is the irony. If we compare these three people, Sheikh Abu Rahman and Sheikh Ihlan and myself, he's, he would kick off with all three of them. Out of all three of them, the most abused human being on this planet is Sheikh Abu Rahman. Okay? The amount of abuse that he used to receive from Anwar is insane. Love as well, but abuse. And he would just have to soak it up because he's Molvi, Imam. You know, nice guy, all the rest of it, yeah? But he'd suck it up, but he'd fight back, and then there'd be just kickoffs and arguments and all the time, day and night. And then you've got me the opposite, which is that he'd try it with me, then I'd slap him down, and then I had his respect, and he would never bother arguing. He would raise his voice, just slap him down, and that's it. And we became the best of friends. And then you've got Sheikh Ihlan, and that was his other best friend. And with Sheikh Ihlan, he is the most passive, the most miskeen guy you've ever seen. He's the most beautiful in Khuluk. He's, you know, he speaks quiet. He doesn't ever get angry. And so the difference was that he would get so angry at him, right, at Kehlan, especially because, you know, Sheikh Kehlan is so Arab, useless Arab. You know, every bad stereotype we have of Arabs, that was Kehlan, is Kehlan. You know, just like, don't care about planning permission, don't worry about the system, put the thing up, no way. It goes, Yalla Bismillah, everything is Yalla Bismillah, everything is Taka Allah, you know, like this. And he used to drive him crazy because, you know, he was, we were talking about danger and structure, we were talking about beams and, you know, whatever. And he, you know, in Sheikh Ahlan, he used to sit down, he used to eat with his hand like a real man, you know, whatever, tak tak, and, you know, and what is like, what's happening here, you know, whereas, so he used to freak him out. And Sheikh Ahlan used to soak it up because like a sponge. So these three people became his three kind of close confidants, right? all the time and so we became that crew and he supported us in all of our individual journeys so for me he was my backbone for everything for 30 years like like i can't even explain to you how many different areas ways whether it was financial support whether it was i needed space whether it was i needed lifts whether it was i needed the weirdest items xyz he's been there for me and my family for for the last 30 years for Kehlan. Every single thing that he needs in any kind of country, whatever kind of project. I remember back in the when the Gulf War was happening 
And after that, the situation in Iraq was very, very bad. And Anwar used his contacts, whatever, to start off these kind of refrigeration companies that were so needed uh, over there. You know, it's not hot. It's ridiculous hot. 55 degrees, 56 degrees, you know, that, that to help people, they just need ways to cool down. You know, and we're thinking about water for like African countries. In like that region, it's all about the ability to refrigerate, right? The, he had that skill of being able, able to identify the need of an area and then support it. And Hamoud Rahman, he built him his masjid. He built him that masjid physically. And everyone here or many people here will remember as part of their memories how he used to you know, physically go and do the, the building work and the bricklaying and the plastering and, and, and everything. Right? And then afterwards when he started to become older, then he started to ask us where are the places to invest. One of the very interesting things is that, of course, he did the deep uh, bore well project that many of you folks all uh, donated to. And actually, we have some folks here, we have some family members who took on one of the entire projects. He's online with us right now and supported Anwar in that project as well. And what did that mean? Instead of just supporting just one vehicle, he doubled. We were able to double the vehicles that go around in Pakistan in the areas where people can't afford to build uh, bore wells. And they just go to that area and they set up, it's like a mobile system, and they go, they build the bow well, train the people on it, and off they go. And they just go around just doing it in different kind of places. Um, yeah, and he, he I, 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 I want to say to you that all the time, and you know, it's very easy to exaggerate. So I just wanted to give you the assurance I'm not exaggerating. That, that's all I need to tell you, that I'm not exaggerating. When he's calling me, 95% of the time he's calling me or texting me or sending me on WhatsApp his latest project or updates that he's received about his projects and he used to get very, very happy with children's projects. That was his, his big thing. And I said to you about, you know, about kids, Bob's was saying that, you know, we're talking about how strict he was, how hard he was. You know, he used to speak first and think later, right? And he used to fear nobody. He used to, you know, whether it was Molvi or Sheikh or whatever, or leader or whoever it was, he used to tell him straight. And of course, he couldn't care less about parents. So the kids loved it. He used to go around people's houses. So my kids will remember him when he was young, uh, when, when they were young. And he would come around and he would say to them, right, are you, you know, uh, uh, you've been studying all day today, haven't you? You've been doing a hibz all day today. Has you been, have you been given a break? We're right in the middle of our lesson time, whatever, whatnot. He goes, ignore what he, your dad's saying. He goes, I will deal with him. Go and play. Go and do this. And he used to tell Bob's, listen, go and, uh, you know, if they say to you anything, say that Anwar told you that, that this is what. You know, people used to be worried about him. He has to have influence and power and this and that. And I look at the whole, I've got obviously my kids about 23, 24 to 8, 9, whatever she is here right now. So there's like whatever, that, that year gap, whatever, whatnot. And I look at my mum who's nearly 70, whatever, whatnot, crying her eyes out. Heba, crying her eyes out. Me, crying my eyes out crazy affecting everybody affecting everybody because of just how much he was always on it always looking for an opportunity i remember when i went to niger anybody who remembers that we're talking 2000 and i want to say five or four or six something like that and they were under the worst drought conditions you've ever seen and i went there and i i did that kind of you know the, the, the back in the day they used to do that televisor thing uh, and then allow you to present it so that they could use it for an appeal and all kinds of people then, you know, uh, whatever. And he used to be alone at home. 
watching news all the time and when he would see something on the TV so this came up on Islam channel he used to watch Islam channel a lot and he didn't even know that I'd gone and then he saw that he goes he goes Mullah how do I uh, uh, support this project I want somebody to do this one with the solar farm included as well so there would be the, the whole system the whole basically build a village that's that's based around water and energy I want to get the lot and I'm going to get you the funding from all over the place. I said, bro, that's a lot of money. Back then, it was a lot of money. It was 70 grand, it was. 150. Huh? Oh, we got, we, yeah, sorry, it was 150,000. Sorry, not 70. And he got 70. That's right. And I said to him, I don't know how, you know, who's going to do that? How am I going to do that? I've got no idea. Then I remember I went to Islamic Relief and I said to them that I want you to create a project. And, you know, we'll get that, you know, I'll get it funded. And I remember that that was his big one getting involved with charity organizations and then he got that done. Anyway, the first thing that he would always message me about is about the projects and about the kids and show me the pictures and the updates. He used to make so happy. And the second is that he would not do anything without getting a fatwa first or permission first. <coughs> so he'd always be calling me. He says, Mullah, I'm having a debate with this Qadiani guy. Mullah, I'm having a debate with this Tabligh guy. Mullah, I'm having a debate. And he just all the time just call and asking for fatwa thing. He's always giving da'wah. Anyone that he would see, he'd be saying, what's happening? Where's your beard? Why are you not praying? And he would slap down people left, right, center. Then he'd get Yanni some pushback and then he'd get put into a situation where he doesn't know what's going on. So he'd call me Yanni from there. He goes, Mullah, what's the hadith about this, that, this, this, that, blah, blah, blah. And his, his whole time spent on hadith, Quran, sunnah, evidences, da'wah. Used to always be in the masjid, every single day praying in the masjid, driving all the way from here, all the way to Makki, all the time. Anyway, we could go on and on. I want to say that his support made me who I am, and Azza wa Jal, and a lot of people are devastated. There was some grief today, some levels of grief today, and yesterday, and Sheikh Ihlan beside himself and people just so we lost a good man today we lost a good man those were exactly the words of Ghlan today when he called me after the janazah by the way the janazah was sick right mashallah we had a great attendance in Makki Masjid janazah salah was the worst I ever been to by the way the worst ever if you attended that's exactly how not to pray Janazah prayer, by the way. All right? Ten you, huh? ten At least 10 minutes. You're being generous. You, you, again, you, I think you're a Sheikh Hamoud supporter. That's why. Sheikh Hamoud was that I don't know, man. Anyway, obviously, Fiqh of Death, I think, comes out next week. And you'll, when you study that, you'll realize just how anti the Fiqh of Death and anti the Fiqh of Salatul Janazah, that Salatul Janazah was. May Allah preserve him. Is very close friend of mine, Shah Hamoud, but we do not meet eye to eye on this matter of how he praises Janazah. Um, but it's a, I wish that we had recorded it as an example of how not to pray. Yeah? Which is, which is, which is fantastic, actually, because... Uh, huh? No, no, loud is okay. The loud part is okay, but it's no, not meant to be... As I said to Bob's, <laughs> I, and this is important because you're all students of knowledge and I want you to hear this. Alright? That when it comes to Janazah prayer, obviously we're going to be covering this in a lot of detail, Fiqh of Death next week, right? But I want you to know that <laughs> that I said that before I start using my evidences in a debate against Sheikh in this issue, 
We're just going to study the prayer that he prayed according to the three conditions that he himself said. He said before he started the prayer that I'm going to pray this out a bit loud, but I'm gonna, it's only going to be unchi kind of sound. <laughs> yani. It's only going to be, you're only going to hear my voice whispering. Yeah, so you can just hear along with what I'm saying. That's the first thing that he said. The second he said is that you're going to make dua by yourself though, and only those people who don't know, they're the ones yani, that the prayer is for, but otherwise you should pray by yourself. And the third, he goes, this is for educational purposes. Yeah, this is for, ta for ta'allum. What then transpired was... I gave up. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to read and I gave up. I yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly that. What transpired was volumes like the Witter Dua. Ya Hayu Ya Qayyum, this, that, shouting. We're in Salatul Janaza. We're inside Salatul It was always going to happen because, bro, if I had led that prayer, I'd have been screaming as well because it's Anwar. <coughs> He knows who's lost. I mean, it was already going to be set up to be a disaster. All right? And so, and so too loud. Not a chance you could make your own dua whatsoever. And it wasn't educational. But rather, it was incredibly emotional. Everybody was sobbing. Everybody's whatever. And my point to you is that everybody come out feeling, you know, really satisfied and happy. But the, the correct position, if we're going to stand for the truth, is to say that that should never happen. Because it's not about making you feel better. And, I, but, and let me tell you something. Everyone came out feeling better in that sense. Because, you know, you get your crying out. You get your tears out. Your dua is more sincere. But that's not how it's meant to be done. Like I said, he was wrong on just his own levels. If I now start getting involved and say this never happened. There's only one companion who ever did it. That narration is not even authentic. That the Prophet ﷺ never did like this. The whole point of the Janazah prayer is it's meant to be incredibly quick. That is never meant to look like any the loud kind of show that what it is. He said, but I, I, wouldn't, I don't even get my fiqh involved. Actually, even on his own principles. But I was happy with that because I know that if Anwar was in there, he would have kicked off and he would have grabbed Hamoud afterwards and said, what is going on? So that made me laugh. And of course, Anwar prayed behind him every day. So that was his love-hate relationship with Hamoud al-Rahman. So I like that part. Then the janazah, then the, the, the burial was fantastic. Um... We were able to build, uh, dig the shaq, which is not something which is done, right? Mm -hmm. And I can't remember the last time we were able to do that. And so again, when you study this next week or next few weeks, you realize that there's one thing which is the qabr, but to, to dig the shaq in it in the absence of the lahad, something that people in this country don't do. And it's a sunnah which is forgotten. And we dug the shaq in the middle, so the grave is like that. We dug a little one, another one. And we place the body fully on its right hand side. If you think about the vast majority of people that we bury, we literally just turn the head and then the head is not internable. As you know, rigor mortis is set in. And it's just a kind of semi-turn. But we took his whole body and slotted it straight in. And it's solid and perfect. So, you know, he went out according to sunnah. No dodgy behavior there. And just alhamdulillah, just alhamdulillah. We lost a great man, ghafar Allahu lah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allahumma ghafir lahu warhamhu, Allahumma aafihi wa'afu anhu, Allahumma akrim nuzulahu wa wasi' mudakhalahu wa ghsilhu minal al-khataya, kama yunakka thawb al-abiyad min al-danas. Allahumma wasi' qabrahu munawwar lahu fiq. And may Allah give him Jannatul Firdaus al-A'la, Allahumma ameen.
And may Allah allow the waqf that he has left behind benefit him until he meets Allah and benefit thousands and millions of people. Allahumma amin. You used to get so happy when people used to be helped. So this person is not normal. I wouldn't do that. You know, believe me, I wouldn't do that. Many people pass away. Many close people pass away. Even Shudad's father, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we didn't go into the eulogy. All right? We expect that are good from our parents. Parents are normal parents level. They do good. Raise good kids. We don't need to speak about uh, uncle and so on. But there are some individuals that, yeah, as I said, they deserve it. They deserve it. Rahimullah. What a guy. All right. Um, what do I want to say? Huh? The point I wanted to mention about the class last week, and this is an important kind of filler. We said, you know, about the folks that are uh, um, Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal and the Hanbali Madhab mentioned about, you know, going to the masjid and it's covered, right? And that therefore this person is also to pray the uh, uh, combine the prayers between Maghrib and Isha, even though it's covered. And I forgot to mention something which is really important. That that is at the core of this issue of why that guy also prays even though he's not getting affected by the rain. Yeah? So we gave the example that the, the path, or maybe you live next door to the masjid, right next door, and so you're not affected. And at this point, we've got to make it clear that it doesn't matter if he's not affected. And this is the same as the guy who only travels in first class. He never suffers any problem due to travel. And he always has a chauffeur or chauffeurs and he's always getting driven and he's always whatever. And maybe he's not someone who's, you know, he's a basic guy, but he never has a problem with suffer, right? With, with traveling. And we've got people, you know, who maybe are in a culture where they love the rain and it doesn't stop them. Like in Malaysia, for example, it's a madness. If you don't like the rain, you're going to be in trouble, bro. It's raining all the flipping time, right? However, you know what's weird about the rain there? Is that it's not the rain that is like, you know, there's rain, then there's rain. Here, rain is a disaster because it's cold. And then the wind blows and then you die. Right? Now imagine hot rain and then it just evaporating off you. Bro, that's a buzz. I'm not going to lie. It's a buzz. And you know the danger of slipping? Because it's evaporating so quickly, that goes as well. Right? I remember when I was in, a, <laughs> I remember when I was in uh, Malaysia, uh, KL, and I was driving in a tunnel. All the cars are in the tunnel. And I think, oh, this is a sick one, man. All the traffic's being, you know, we're beating all the traffic here. He goes, this, that, we go. You know, but the guy driver goes to me. He goes, by the way, do you know this is in a tunnel, by the way? I go, what do you mean this is in a tunnel? He goes, this is a storm tunnel. I go, what tells a storm tunnel? Because it's got proper, you know, lanes, lights and everything. He goes, no, this is to allow the flood water to go through. I go, every couple, he goes, every couple of days, they basically close off the, the cars. And then they just allow the, because the rain's so much. And the rain gathers up and then it just basically just flows full of water. Then they close the thingy, then they use it as for cut. But it's a madness. Now, the reason I say that is that, you know, like Canada, minus 30, minus 40, you know, madness, centigrade, like madness. And here, you know, minus five and the whole world is dead. And we're dead and we can't walk and whatever, whatnot. Now, you might say, how is that possible? Bro, because when the infrastructure is built towards that, when the roads are safe to walk and the cars are able to be defrosted and the planes are always being sprayed and whatever, life continues. Now this is important because 
should the rulings of Sharia differ when certain people are used to problems that other people all agree upon? You get my point? Yeah? So, you know, these folks, it's raining for them all the time. And it doesn't m matter at all. Getting wet means nothing because it dries off. It's not cold. It's not, you know, that horrible kind of feeling. In some countries, for example, it might be warm, you go in and the AC is going to kill you because it's going to... But when the AC is not being used a lot, then you go in and it's fine inside, it's fine outside. And so should the rules of Safar and combining be applied to them? And the answer is yes. Because the rules of Sharia are not for the exception. And the exception is not one. And the exception is also not a nation. Even a country cannot be an exception to the Sharia. How about that? And so therefore, the, the reason why it's important what the Sheikh mentions that the people who go to the masjid underneath the cover and they don't get wet, well, well done to you. And guess what? You're still going to get the blessing of the concession even though you're not affected by it whatsoever. Even though you don't deserve it whatsoever. Even though you might not be negatively, yani, whatever, as a result of it, you get it because this is a hukam which is am and a blessing and a concession which is for everybody and you take a part in that. So I want you to remember that for all of the concessions that come. It doesn't matter, of course, we're going to be speaking about the third of the three concessions. We said that the three are what? That they are... Uh, travel, they are sickness, and now we're coming into uh, 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 fear. These are the three causes for concessions. And those concessions are either shortening, as we said, for traveling, or combining, which can be applied to traveling, and it can be applied to illness. Shortening can never be applied to illness as a cause. And now we're going to deal with fear. Okay? So Sheikh says, uh, Imam al-Hajawi, sorry, the author, this is the entire chapter. It's a subsection. Fossil, subchapter, Salatul Khawf. Wa Salatul Khawf is sahat an in Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bi sifatin kulliha jaiza. Wa yustahabu an yahmila ma'ahu fi salatiha min istilah ma yadfa'u bihi an nafsih wa la yashghuluhu kasayfin wa nahwih. Off the cuff translation. Um, the fear prayer is authentic and correct on the authority of the Prophet ﷺ in all of, and it is permissible in all of its various forms. So this is an authentic practice from the Prophet ﷺ, the fear prayer, and it is permissible in all its forms. And it is recommended that one carries their weapons with them in the prayer sufficient enough to defend himself thereby and not disturb him or not um, you know like you imagine carrying like a, an anti-aircraft gun while praying you know that big dog yani yeah <laughs> what would that do to you if you're praying it would be disturbing you right hinder hinder, hinder. yeah that, and that well that doesn't hinder him like a sword or a knife. That's what you're meant to be carrying. So it's enough to defend yourself, but it's not getting in the way. You know what I mean? Yeah, you just put it to the side, then you carry on praying, and such that this, that, whatever. Can't ruin the prayer. That's the text. Okay? Now, let's talk about Salatul Khawf. Sheikh says on page 408, and we're going to cover this whole chapter today. Inshallah. Okay. 
Sheikh says that this is the third, as we said, the first one, the third of the uh, excuses that one can use for concessions. The first is traveling. The second one is uh, uh, sickness and, mm. and those which fall into the, the, to the similar to sickness. And the third is khawf. And khawf, fear, means fear from an enemy. It doesn't matter whether it's human or animal or aliens. Yeah, we get yeah, attacked by aliens. You can pray the fear prayer, right? Unless, like, obviously, if it's ET, then uh, you know. Although here's the thing: you say ET, and you got folks that are like, what the hell's ET? <laughs> it's true, isn't it? That's when you know that you're old, and you got a. What, what would I say now then? Who's a nice alien of today? Remember V? That was the best. You know, I was addicted to V. You know that. I swear I would, you know, me and my parents, we sit down for V like it was like Salah. <laughs> and every time one of them would do that behavior, oh my God, we'd get so excited, we'd be screaming. What a program that was. Who's a nice alien of today that they can relate to these kids, these Gen Z folks? Uh, Alf. Who? Alf. Who's Alf? Who's Alf? Who's Alf? Who's Alf? Idris, who's the alien that you like? <laughs> don't, think, think don't say your brother. What are you doing that for? Yeah, no. The superhero comes. If he's invading. Oh, yeah, like the Thanos. Thanos. Yeah, there you go. If Thanos comes down, he's an alien, isn't he? He's some kind of alien. If Thanos comes down and he's wreaking destruction everywhere, that's Salat al Khawf time. Right? So, uh, Sheikh says that if you're, for example, you got caught out in the wild, this is real. Right? And you're being hunted and you're the prey. Right? And you're in a safari park, you know, you got lost, you went over the fence, tried to be a hero, now they've all gone, and you got lions and tigers all over the place. Then you're now, uh, this is actually prime time to use the concept of Salatul Khawf. Let's obviously, let's imagine it's a group of people. How would you pray? And we'll talk about that, that manner. So it's important to know that the enemy is, doesn't matter who it is, it's fear from an enemy, not other fear. Right? Uh, fear from an enemy. Yeah. Say it again. A time of a Dajjal? No, not necessarily. Not, not in general, but specific. Yeah. So, for example, if Dajjal is in front and launching an attack on the believers and it's essential to hide and to, you know, not display yourself, then. Because we, we'll speak about the various forms of the prayer and, what, you know, what it means to pray the fear prayer because what you're scared of. Because there'll be different things you're scared of. Are you scared of being seen? Right? That's not from the Sunnah. When you see the Quran, because ayat were revealed about this, right? And when you see the fear prayer of the Quran, it's not about not being seen. Everybody knows where you are because it's not, you know, remote drone invasion. It's man to man on a battlefield. The question is not about not trying to be seen. The question is, how are you going to fight your enemies? It's going to be face on, or, or you don't know where they're going to attack from. But you know that they're about to attack. So that's a whole different yani, scenario to you're trying to evade the enemy. So there's the fear prayer when you're trying to evade the enemy, you're in a ditch by yourself, for example, or three, four of you in a ditch, and there's a big invasion on, and they're all over the place. Or you've got the satellite, you know, trying to find you, etc. That's a different type of prayer. So the prayer, uh, the khawf, will differ accordingly. And we're going to speak about also what kind of, uh, of war or battle qualifies for khawf. 
Is it like, for example, if you're being pursued by, by thugs or by armed robbers, for example? This is a khawf, this is a war, this is a local battle between you and the thugs. Yeah? Etc. etc. Now, jumping straight in, the, the, uh, he says, uh, Imam Sheikh Uthameen, he goes that uh, there are a number of ways that have been described about the uh, 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 fear prayer. Actually, if you look at some of the scholars, they said, Ibn al Arabi said, uh, the great scholar, Maliki scholar, he said there are 18 forms of the fear prayer. 18 forms. Imam Ahmed said there are seven. Okay, Imam Ahmed said there are seven. Um, Sheikh Uthameen is like there's six or seven that are narrated from the Prophet ﷺ, or narrated in the Sunnah. And that means either directly from the Prophet ﷺ or from the companions. Or from the companions. Um, the first one I want to... Before we go into them, and you'll always, as, as in Fiqh Salah, we only focus on two, right? Because that's the only two that are highly authentic. The rest are got always some questionable kind of sources and the like. And they also, they also don't fit the Quranic narrative. And they also kind of, you know, as you'll see as we go through some of them. But the two we speak about, the Quranic ones, are the ones that we cover in Fiqh Salah. But before we come to that, I just want to remind you of what happened with the first one, about how it started. Um... And how it started, because before, and the, the, the date of when the, the fear prayer started is between 4th five, fourth year, 5th year, 6th year of Hijrah. And this is after Khandaq. This is after the Hijrah. The Prophet ﷺ is in Medina, but things are still happening. Yeah, We've battered them in uh, Badr. They've come to big time revenge in Uhud. Then we slapped them in Khandaq. And then it's just, yani, you know, kickoffs wherever we can find them. Kickoffs wherever they can find them. And they send out assassination squads and they're taking our big players out. They took Khubayb out, radiallahu anh. They took, you know, there was some, as you go through the, the big kind of moments. Um, and then I want to say that uh, around about five, six, when the Prophet ﷺ wanted to make a revenge attack, and he ambushed the, the Quraysh uh, at the place of the people of uh, Bani Lihyan. Uh, uh, and the area is called Usfan. And this is known as the, the Battle of Usfan. And the area of Usfan, if you imagine Mecca, Jeddah, and Medina, okay? So it's in between Medina and Mecca, but close to Mecca, like about 80 odd kilometers north of, of Mecca, Usfan. And this is where the Prophet ﷺ went and uh, they, they took on the Quraysh. And the Quraysh were led at that time by Khalid bin Walid. Alright? So Khalid bin Walid was like the leader of them at that time. He's been promoted. He was, you know, stunning victories that had proved himself beyond any measure. And so what happens is that whilst they're kind of facing off, the, uh, the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba, they pray Dhuhr prayer. Right? And the Kufar, you know, they're, they're off the back and they're like, after the slaughter's finished and everyone, they, they kind of go to themselves and they said to Khalid and whatever, we miss an opportunity, man. These guys were hooked up. These guys were hooked up and, you know, they were in a state of ghafla, meaning they were like careless or heedless to our coming, that we could have really taken opportunity there. And then one of them says, and it's not clear who says this, but it seems like it was a, Collective statement from the educated to the uneducated. You know what he said? Anyone know this narration? Anyone heard this? 
Does Yasser cover this in the Sirah? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's good to cover it. Um, he said, we'll, don't worry. We'll do it next time. We'll do it in the next, uh, the next prayer. prayer. He said <coughs> that what's coming, oh, he didn't say the prayer. He said, you know what's coming up? What's coming up is a prayer that is more beloved to them than their children and their families. And which is Salatul Asr. And of course, this is in the Quran, Salatul Wusta. Yeah, Allah says, yani, protect Salatul Wusta, yani, protect this yani, middle prayer. And we have the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu about its value. And its value, as the Prophet Sallallahu said, is more than one's whole family and livelihood and everything. And Salatul Asr is something that, as a reminder for us in this chapter, is something that we've got to take more importance over. Kind of like the, 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 the forgotten kids. You know what I mean? Out uh, of the prayers. Every, each, one, each other one has got something dramatic around it. You know what I mean? The dhuhr one, you're just desperate for dhuhr. Everyone needs a dhuhr, man. You know, the whole long time, you know, from fajr until dhuhr, and you pick up all kinds of bakwas in that time. Especially with someone like me shouting everybody, yeah, and whatever, whatnot. I'm looking for dhuhr, I need purification. Yeah? And that's how you got to look at prayers, right? You've got to look at prayers as the expiate of all the sins that you've gathered. And that's a long flipping time, seven, eight hours since the last time you prayed, and then you need yani, that, whatever, especially if you're in retail. You're in retail, you're swearing every single customer under your thing, and then, you know, when it's lunchtime, and you put your you know, head on the floor, you're buzzing. And then, obviously, Maghrib, big darkness falls, big Isha is a buzz. Asad gets left behind, and that's, of course, it's no wonder, it's in all cultures, and that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala emphasized it, right? Uh, right? So, anyway, um, so then the companions didn't know this the Prophet ﷺ didn't know this they're planning to attack during Asr Jibreel ﷺ comes down and that is when the ayats from Surah An-Nisa are revealed and when you stand uh, for prayer we'll cover this uh, uh, now and then that's when the Prophet ﷺ implemented the first Salatul Khawf. There are some different narrations as well that, that put it at, at other locations. There's difference of opinion, but this is one that we'll go with. And this was when the enemy is right in front in the direction of the Qibla. And so we can say that after this is the initiating factor, the, the fear prayer is basically two forms. When you can see, and this is of course back in the day, so you've got to now imagine that it's all about hand-to-hand -hand combat. No such thing as anything else. Um, but of course there were spears and there were arrows. But the thing is you've always got time. If one is coming, you'll know about it and you've got time now to defend yourself against the rest that come. There's always going to be one person who's going to get that first arrow. But by the time the first one comes, everyone's got their shields to defend themselves. And he's going to make a point about that as well. That when it comes to weapons, this is not done in an offensive position. This is always done in a defensive position. And that the weapons that you use are for defensive, not necessarily offensive. And that's why we're talking mostly about shields, and we're talking about uh, 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 spears and, and swords, right? So this old school. So if you're in the direction of the Qibla, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, بَعْدَعُوذْ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ وَإِذَا قُنْتَ فِيهِمْ and so if you're amongst them, فَأَقَمْتَ لَهُمُ الصَّلَاةِ And you establish the prayer, فَلْتَقُمْ طَائِفَةٌ مِّنْهُمْ مَعَكْ So then let one of them, يعني, so you'll, you'll divide the, the uh, army into two parties. Let the first party stand with you. وَلْيَأْخُذُوا أَسْلِحَتَهُمْ And let them carry and let them hold their weapons. Okay? 
And so when they make sajda, then the others are yani, covering for them. Yani, meaning the, the, those, uh, uh, those who are uh, thingy. All right? So then let them pray. And I'll come to this. And then let the second party then come. Those who lam yusallu, those who have not prayed, فَلْيُصَلُّ مَعَكَ And let them pray. وَلْيَأْخُذُوا حِذْرَهُمْ وَأَسْلِحَتَهُمْ A difference in the ayah here. Let them carry their weapons as well, but let them also be very careful. This very careful, extra, is because they are on guard duty at the beginning. Whereas the first folks, they're not on guard duty, they're just praying. Right? They've got to hold their weapons in case everything goes wrong, but they're focused on the salah. It's the job of the second group that are not with them to, to focus on, uh, on that. So this is what was, of course, revealed in Surah An-Nisa, verse 102. Um, how does this prayer work? I've divided the two. They're in our... Sorry, this is not in the direction of the Qibla. beg your pardon. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, the exact opposite. So the, the, the enemy is not in front of us. Yani, uh, um, sorry, it might be in front of us, but it's not in the direction of the Qibla, I mean. Okay? And it's time for Salah. And if we're praying, then we've got to pray towards Qibla. And let's say that the enemy is behind us. And the Qibla is this way. So obviously we all can't pray because we get attacked from behind. So two parties. The first party come and join me if I'm leading the Salah. And the second party, they stand on guard, facing towards the enemy, making it clear that don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. We will now pray. I will start my takbir. Most of the time, these are all going to be qasr prayers. And there's a discussion about what qasr even means here. Is it two to one or is it four to two? That's an argument which has little evidence, but it's a discussion. I want you to assume every four raka'ah prayer becomes a two, and maghrib is a unique situation. So, we're talking a two-unit prayer. Dhuhr and asr and all of these easy scenarios. Okay, Two units. I will go Allahu Akbar and the first group behind me, however many rows they are, it doesn't matter, will say Allahu Akbar and I will recite the first uh, raka'ah, everything. We will go into ruku, we will go into sujood, we will then stand back up and I will then pause as the imam. I will pause and the guys behind me will now finish off the prayer individually. So they will then by themselves complete the prayer. They will then do their second set of sajda ruku and they do tashahud, give salams and they've now finished the prayer. They get up and they get off and they swap positions with the group behind me. They now come, they all line up, one line, ten lines, whatever. They go, Allahu Akbar, I know that they've all joined. I now start reciting my second unit. I then finish that second. I sit down and when I sit down for tashahud, after my second sajda, they stand up. They complete that prayer, that second unit. They then come and join me in the tashahud and they give salams with me. That means that the first group started the prayer with me and the second group finished the prayer with me. Is that clear, everybody? This is the first way, the most authentic way, and it's called the Quranic way of praying Salatul Khawf. And this is where? This is on the, in, the, in the situation of a person, uh, the enemy, sorry, not being in front of us. The second scenario is when the enemy is in front. <coughs> when the enemy is in front, again, this is old school. This is not asymmetric warfare or modern warfare at all. This goes what all goes out the window when it comes to modern day. Mm-hmm. So we're talking now, we've got the whole army in front of us. 
We've got no fear of any army attacking behind us or being caught on the flanks or whatever. It's right in front of us, so we don't need to have that second group. So what do we do? We all start together. So we have a number of lines, okay? But ideally, you want to keep it to minimum, so you want to have like two very long lines, like huge long lines, okay? So I start the prayer. We're all together in the prayer. We'll pray the first rak'ah. And what will happen is that I will go into ruku'ah. Now, you know, if you want to find out how does it become 18 and how does it become 20 and mm -hmm. how does it, you know, different forms, it's because there are different now variations of the original form. So, for example, some scholars say what happens at this moment that when I go for Allahu Akbar and I go in for ruku'ah, right, everybody goes for ruku'ah. Because they're not going to attack whilst we're in ruku'ah, they're going to attack when we're in sajda, when we can't see. Right? But in ruku'ah, apparently, it's not enough to, to strike from their side. You know what I mean? So some scholars say, all of us go into ruku'ah, all of us say, Samiyallahu liman hamida rabbana wa lakalham, and then only the imam and the first line go down for sajda. And the second line remains standing. They remain standing. Okay? They do the two sajdas and stand up. And then the first line will step back. And then the second line will step forward. And this is another variation. So for example, one of the other variations is that first line remains where it is. The second line is now, as they've stood up, the first line, ready for the second rak'ah. Now the first line now go and complete their sajda. If they didn't make ruku', which is another variation, they make ruku' as well. They stand up, go down for sajda, and then they stand back up again. Ultimately, we remain like that until everyone's standing again. Ultimately, the first line is doing ruku' sajda by itself, the second line doing it by itself. And then when everybody's standing up again, to be fair, then the lines swap. So the first line now goes back, and the second line then comes forward, and then the same process happens again, but just the other way. And so I will now go into ruku' and sajda with the first lot, and then the second lot then do it as well. And then we give salams together. Does that make sense? Yeah? So in the second situation, we're all facing, we can all see the enemy, where there's no surprise attacks, therefore we can all pray together. And the variations, as I said, are minor. The variations about at what point does one group go, whatever, and all of this is very flexible. Yeah? Fairness. fairness meaning that uh, to have the the uh, feel of going into ruku' and sujood with the imam as opposed no, to holding back there's no difference in reward there's no difference in reward because of that uh, 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 swap otherwise otherwise if you think about it what's the wisdom behind it like nothing it only creates more hassle right so it's all, it's clearly to make people feel better you know, you just might like feel like, you know, well, why am I in the second line? Why not? You know what I mean? Someone will come up with that, won't they? Right? But ultimately, you know, it's just, a, it's just to ensure that there's no fitna and everyone got a fair crack. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is that Sheikh Uthameen says that amongst all of these uh, forms, the author, he said, Kullaha jaiza. All of them are permitted, yani to use. Um, but Sheikh says, but actually, I wish that he had said something better. It's possible for us to say that actually these ways, these various ways, in a hadith sifat min as-salah, la yajuz nar'un minha illa fi mawdu'ihi alayhi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
He goes, that that's fine. I'm okay to support the statement that all of the forms are okay and permittable to, permitted, uh, permitted to use, but only in the times that the Prophet ﷺ used them. And that's actually a nice caveat to add. So yeah, we agree that all of the forms are allowed, but you can only use them in battles like the Prophet ﷺ did. And you wouldn't be using, for example, everyone praying in, together when the enemy can't be seen. This would be an impermissible form of praying because you are actively going against the ayah. Uh, Allah says, and let them be careful. You are, you are going against that intention. You are told you yeah, need to be careful and be on guard. And you know that they could attack there, but you are so concerned, I've got to get the jama'ah. So you prayed all together. You, got, you get what I'm trying to say? And so what Sheikh Uthameen says, I think I, is very nice. Actually, I like it. Um, if you want to know some of the other versions, okay, which I, th I found, you know, I think is quite interesting. And this obviously is a detailed class. I did some research and this is not easily available, actually. Details. You'll always, find, like Sheikh Uthameen, you know what he said? He said, we're only going to mention two. All right. And... He goes, the rest you can find in the, in the, in the longer books. <laughs> My favorite phrase, Yanni, ever. You can go back to the other books. So, anyway, um, I want you to, to, to just, to, to just you know, get this off my chest. He goes that the... Uh, so the first, the, 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 the first form... Obviously, it's revealed in the Quran, so that's the end of it. But it's narrated in Ahmed and Al-Tirmidhi and a number of Sunan. The second form that we spoke about is narrated by Abdullah ibn Umar, and it's narrated in Bukhari and Muslim, so we've got that asal there. The third form is narrated by some of the Sahaba, okay? And basically, it's, it's a nothing, a fiqh-wise. You're praying twice. So the Imam prays fully two rak'ah with the first group, yeah, and then he prays again and says nafal prayer. Straightforward as that. The fourth form is similar to number three, but he prays again, but he actually makes it four units. So he prays two, and the only thing that he doesn't do is the salam. So he's there in tashahud with the first group, and then he lets them give salam. As soon as they give salam, he then stands up, staying within the same four unit prayer. And the other guys come along and do two units with him. Does that make sense? Yeah? Yep. Four units, but two and two with only one set of taslim. Yeah? yeah? One set of taslim. Yeah, this is the, this is the one uh, which is also narrated from some of the uh, salaf. Okay? Uh, yeah, this is also from the Sahaba. All of these are from the Sahaba now. All of the rest of these minor ones are from Sahaba. And not just only from Sahaba, but also not very authentic. Yeah. So good question. What is the prayer then that the Imam just prayed? Right? What, what, what was it? Was it a full version of the prayer? Of that particular prayer? Um, possible. Is it, yeah, uh, uh, if you don't believe that qasr is obligatory, which it's not, how can you not 
That's of, uh, the, the answer to that is because these are exceptional prayers. Mm. We'll speak about the exceptional concept in a minute. There's no doubt that the normal rules don't apply here <coughs> to, to do a cheap answer. Yeah, but if we're going to try to give some logic to the answer, then it, you know, maybe it's because he's praying it for, maybe it's a unique prayer in his position. But you now know why nobody uses this version of the, of the prayer. Number five is even worse. This is from the hadith, and this is known as the one of Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhuma. And, um, and this, you know, many scholars rejected this, okay? Um, basically, it's one rak'ah. So, hmm. what happens is that you, it's exactly the same as the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar in Sahih, the second way of praying the salah. When they're in front or when, when, uh, when they are not there, yeah, only one person comes. But when the first group comes, they just pray one rak'ah and they don't stand up to give salam, uh, to, to complete the second one. They just pray one rak'ah prayer. So you just turned the fear prayer into one unit. So you, the imam, will pray two. The first group will pray one and get off. And then the second group will come and only pray one and finish. So you start, it's exactly like the first one, in that you start with the first group and you end with the second but the first group only prays one unit and the second group only prays one unit. Does that make sense? Yeah? It's a bit, you know, uh, 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 weird. And the sixth one, to be honest, it's you start with the imam and the first group starts with the imam and they pray by themselves. And they finish the prayer by themselves. And then the second group come and they start and they're up and down whatever and they pray and they give salam with the with the with the imam so it's all over the show so this is another one of the thing now someone sheikh muhammad Mukhtar shanqiti he made a point he goes if you want to understand where the people get the idea that there's 12 narrated manners and and the like he goes that they took these six and then they made all of the prayers qasar right or and depending upon their opinion of whether the original prayer itself was actually two units or not, because that's what people differed over, then the qasr means that all of them are just one unit. So that would be make then seven, eight, nine, ten would be the versions where it's only one unit. Does that make sense? And if you felt that actually the fear prayer is four rak'ah, then seven, then seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve is the exact all same prayers, but with two units. Does that make sense? All right. So these variations are very much a human kind of. Uh, kind of playing around, you know, playing around in, in the sense that, you know, they are, um, they're, they're, not, they're not to be taken too seriously. Sheikh says something nice. He goes, if we look at the, uh, this particular prayer, um, the, the, uh, um, the prayer when a person, the first group comes and then they go off and then the second group comes. So you start with the first group and you end with the second group. This is the most popular, the most narrated version in, uh, of the fear prayer. And it's the one where the enemy is in a different direction to the Qibla. If you look at this and see how it differs from the normal prayers in two things. I think this is a really nice point that he makes. What are the two ways that this prayer differs? Where you're facing. No, they're facing towards Qibla. So that's the same. How, how do you two can be prayed quite often. So that wouldn't be too different. And it could also work before. How is it different to the normal prayer? How 
be specific about the structure. What is the difference? What's the first? No, that's not good enough. Be accurate. How? At all times. Where is the part where they don't follow the imam? Praying by themselves. Good. That's the first difference. Al-infirad. Going solo. This is different from the normal prayer. Going solo from the <coughs> imam. What's the second big difference to a normal prayer? And a clue is that it's being performed by the second group. Finishing what? No. I have to do it all the time. When have you ever started doing this? He ran into that like a brick wall. Yeah. All right, go on. What? Yeah. No, they don't. No, you can use, you could even have a little cheeky, you know. Yeah. Is it the movement into salah? Huh? Movement into salah. No. Is it kind of being a hold of Uh, yeah, but you know what? That's also allowed. Yeah, and it's some kind of holding in a normal prayer. Could be whatever. No, so it's a very, it's a. It's something for the second group. That's unique. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Say it again. We do that all the time, completing prayers afterwards. That's the correct answer. That is the only time that a unit is not made up after the taslim. Right? In the normal prayers, you've got to make up your units after taslim. Whereas in this prayer, the unit is made up before the taslim. Yeah? The imam is waiting for them. So those are the two differences. Now, the reason that he mentioned that is to ask the question, okay, um, he goes that the interesting thing about the first difference is that actually Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed or the Prophet has legislated for this form of difference to be utilized in emergency situations in the normal prayers as well. Okay? This going solo in the prayer. Examples. What examples do we have? One very famous example, man. Come on. Yeah, that might work, but that's kind of everybody would go off. Emergency situation. Very famous example. Guys don't know the hadith of Mu'adh ibn Jabal? No? <laughs> See? I want you to know, yes, that is the world's biggest hair. You see, he could, have, he could have worded that in so many ways. I said the hadith of Mu'adh ibn Jabal, and Shazad goes when you're fed up with the imam. <laughs> you see, look how many people, that's it, always got it right. The hadith where the imam went on too long. That imam was Mu'adh ibn Jabal. He goes yani, to lead Salatul Isha, and he starts reciting Surah Al-Baqarah. <laughs> and there's my guy, yani, he's like, what on earth is happening here? He thought it's going to stop any minute now, stop any minute now, and he's carrying on, carrying on. Forget this. And he just basically just went, Allahu Akbar, went into the court, you carry on, mate. Yeah? He finished his prayer and he went to the Prophet and put big shakayatiyani forward. You sent this, that, whatever, whatnot. He come and he started praying all night with us. We got life, this, that, blah, blah. And 
What's interesting is the Prophet ﷺ became so angry at Mu'adh. You are fitna creating person, Ya Mu'adh. And Mu'adh, by the way, the most knowledgeable of the companions in the, in the halal and the haram. He was from the fuqaha of the companions. Imagine the Prophet ﷺ saying that to a scholar of the Sahaba. The key point here from a legal point of view is that he never criticized the companion for going solo. So Allahumma lakal hamd for this moment. Because I'm not going to lie, Manz has been there. She's like, I think we use it every week. <laughs> yeah, you see how quick he was there and he to come out with it. You know, no pause, no nothing. And he fed up with the Imam. Chad gets fed up with so quickly. Even today he was fed up. Like, oh, but we enjoyed it, yeah. But your dad's always going to be fed up, right? Don't <laughs> ignore him, yeah. He's a hater, man. We all know that. Um, so, um, so if there's an emergency, and by the way, I just want to put it out to you that the guy doesn't need to be reciting with Baqarah. Okay, so I'm telling you now, again, goes back to the, what we've been speaking about the last couple of months. Do you give people this kind of statement or do you hold it away from them? Are they going to abuse it or not? But I'll tell you that if you're in a work situation where you've got very clear, you know, time and you come to the imam and you have, you know, you've given some 10, 15 minute allowance and he's now gone into 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Hamza, <laughs> <laughs> but listen, but I trust Hamza's judgment. Listen, listen, listen. Go on. Yeah. Imam turns up about 25 minutes late. Right. Apologizes for being late. Okay. But then gives his entire khutbah. Full khutbah. Like he wasn't late. At all. Like as if he wasn't late at all. Like as if he, like as if he wasn't late at all. Fuming. And not a single one Yanni decided to. But nobody did that. Ibra. Me. Shut up, man. Don't blame me. Fifty-one minutes. Oh, 51 minutes. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I stood up at the beginning of the khutbah and I said that this is a sunnah to attend and anyone who wishes to leave, then let them leave. And anyone who wants to be tortured, then you stay right where you are. And let me teach you middle class waste men a lesson today. <laughs> and I carried on. How dare you, Yanni, give an example between the salah? I never said you. I was talking about something else. I said my hour. You cheeky git. You just turned around and said 51 minutes eat salah. That's what he said, isn't it? No, I never said that. He said that. 51 minutes. Who said who? He gave 51 minutes salah. I don't know. I wish I could do 51 minutes salah. I didn't think we were giving for anything else, man. Well, we can do that in the 25 minute Witter Qunud. See, Witter Qunud guy, what is he doing? Right? Now, so what I'm saying is that it can't just be, you know, like Shazad just being fed up with the Imam. <laughs> Otherwise, we're not going to pray anything with the Imam, are we? There's got to be some kind of emergency, some urgency, okay? Um, the other obvious examples are someone who is desperate <clears throat> to go to the toilet, right? Now, you might say that, well, then they should just break the prayer and then make up. But it, that's correct if it's a normal prayer. But if it's a prayer that's going on and the imam is taking a liberty and you're clear and you've got desperate toilet issues, then it's not your issue to, like, you did everything right. Does that make sense? 
Whereas if you're in a very short prayer, no prayer, and you're dying to go, you did something wrong. You get my point? Yeah? So that's an example. Sheikh gives another example. He goes, if the Imam's praying too fast. I've done that, by the way. Completely cut out the prayer as so we walked out of the masjid. Right? Like, uh, finish the prayer, whatever. And I'm talking to guys. What the hell is this? What the hell is this? Yeah? So... Uh, and he goes, in this case, it's actually obligatory for you to break free from this person. Right? And breaking free means continue. The ladies, I told you guys, given fatwa and fiqh salah, and I told you this many times, if the speaker cuts out. Right? And so if, when the speaker cuts out, which happens all the time, remember at last Ramadan or the year before I, 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 I gave the thingy, the reminder when it kept cutting out. And I said, girls, listen, when it happens again, don't kill yourselves waiting for... Uh, Every half an hour, you're thinking, where the hell are we? Soon as it cuts out, just yeah, take the intention that I've gone solo and finish off the prayer yourselves. The other option is that one of the ladies steps forward and leads them, and then you ignore when the speaker comes on. It doesn't matter. You're praying by yourself. Ignore the speaker. So that's another example where you go solo from the thingy, infirat. Another example. Um, here's something, which is... Unfortunately, very disappointing to read from Sheikh Uthameen. But he is also a believer in the opinion of Sheikh Al-Albani. When it comes to when he said it's not possible to follow the Imam, he said. When it's impossible. <clears throat> what does that mean? What do you think he means when he says it's impossible to follow the Imam? No. He's saying when you're trying to pray three behind someone who's trying to pray four. So you've started with your intention of Maghrib behind a person who's praying Salatul Isha. We spoke about this last week, didn't we? And I said to you this is unacceptable. Well, I didn't say it's unacceptable. I said it's an opinion that some scholars allow. That what does the person do? At your three, you sit down. And you've got two options then, haven't you? What's the first option? Wait. Wait for the Imam and let him catch up to you and then give salams with him, but I'm not going to do an extra rak'ah, which makes me shudder in my spine when I think about it. Or, finish. And just give salams, and you're out of there after three, and let them carry on with their one. Up to you whether you want to join them now for Isha or not, that's up to you. But the point is finish. Sheikh Uthameen says that in his opinion, this is something which is allowed. Okay, and as we said, Sheikh Al-Bani and a few other scholars said that that's allowed as well. And obviously the vast majority reject that uh, 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 Ah, sorry. Sheikh did say though, um, he goes that regardless of the reason, whether it's this reason, because you're praying something impossible, or whether it's other reasons, it is an absolute must that there is an emergency, that there's, an excuse, there's a reason, sorry. If you do this without reason, the prayer is invalidated. So if you break away from the imam without a valid reason, the prayer is invalidated completely. <clears throat> okay? Um, and with that said, uh, huh, Sheikh says, okay, today is something very different. You know, the fighting is something which is, uh, uh, you know, Whatever internet into into in, in, in our current world, can we pull off these? The truth is that no, these two prayers are not realistic. Vast majority of the time, 
and we are under fear of bombing and laser missiles and the enemies hardly ever anywhere around anyway you never get to see them the whole point of war is that they're nowhere around and so this is not now whatever and so then he says so in these modern scenarios what you're praying is a prayer which is as close as possible either to these fear prayers with their concessions that's your first kind of go-to in the absence of being able to do that for example you're having to lie flat under camouflage or you can't move you know like proper fear then you pray however you possibly can because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says also um, he also said Shaykh Uthameen, he also said that what about if it goes to a whole different level where you can't even pray on time situation is all action and you're in right the thick of it and then what do you do then and he goes that you pray as best as you possibly can you've got to try to avoid yeah, and delaying a prayer from his time and he goes of course this is not a problem if it's dhuhr and to asr you make the intention for combining and you i'll deal with it in late, at the end of asr clearly i'm not going to get a time here we're in this for next few hours but we're talking about now asr into maghrib time right that's something that should be avoided as much as possible and he goes that the way that it would be avoided is that you would like that's like i want to say that's the red line and it's such a red line that you would pray any kind of way to avoid that red line. Does that make sense? And what did he say? So for example, he goes, in the middle of the battle, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَإِنْ خِفْتُمْ فِي رِجَالًا أَوْ رُكْبَانًا He goes that, uh, 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 and then if you are worried, yani you're, 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 you're afraid, then walking, riding, whatever kind of uh, manner that you are in, you just do it exactly like that. And so he said, person would say, Muqtar al-Shaqid say, you say Allahu Akbar and you wouldn't be raising hands and you wouldn't be putting hands anywhere. You'd be fighting. You'd be, you would be on, you know, if you're like a drone controller and you're doing attacks and you're trying to, you know, you're sitting at a computer in a, in a separate area, but you are in the midst of battle. You can't take your hands away. Everything's depending upon you. It will be Allahu Akbar. You know, you go through surah, Allahu Akbar. You'd be, and you wouldn't take your eyes off the screen. You, we've gone past, uh, uh, um, Indicating with the chest, you know, we spoke about that and mm. indicating lower you've gone past that your eyes must not move from the They gave the example that your eyes would not move from the screen or your eyes would not move from the enemy And you'd be typing whatever and you'd be doing the whole prayer in a way that you are in um, The only exception to that is If you cannot concentrate on the prayer at all Now this that we just said even though it sounds like crazy but the guy still got the presence of mind. You know, even the salah might be calming him down. You know, keeping him focused. Then he's able to think. The only thing that he can't do is any of the actions. Right? But there might be a scenario if he's in the midst, in the midst of the heat of battle, where he can't stop for one second. Yeah? This is the scenario then where it will be permissible for him because he doesn't know other choice. And he prays all the prayers at the end in whatever way that he gets the chance. Then that's something which is, he goes, you know, that's something which is allowed and uh, 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 that's something okay he goes also by the way we want to make it clear that to be able to pray all these prayers and all these concessions to be enjoyed the, the fight has got to be a real one and a fair one it's got to be a halal one mubah qital mubah and a qital mubah means that it's for example the killing of the enemy the kuffar or defensive Meaning you're attacked by someone and the attack by someone is a much bigger wider range 
And a lot of scholars did not allow this type of prayer when you're on the offensive. Okay, because there is no emergency. You're in control. You should make better decisions of when to attack, not to attack. You should strategize, yani, whatever. So a lot of scholars are saying that this is only allowed in defensive. Uh, uh, so he goes, for example, so he says that on page 413, as for when you're on an offensive, opposed those people who don't allow that, this is not something to... Uh, yeah, and you've you've got to stop. You've got to you've got to get your your your, your tactics your tactics uh, uh, right. And he goes some examples with also fighting the Muslims when they reject Salatul Eid, or they reject the Adhan or the Iqama, meaning the main aspects of Islam, right? They they are rebelling against the rituals and the identifications of, of Islam. Or for example, you've got two believing you've got some fitna and you've got two groups of Muslims that are fighting, and then there's an agreement of peace, and then as Allah says, um, that if you know one then breaks the, the deal and transgresses against the other, then uh, fight the transgressors until they come back to the command of Allah. Okay, so that's the only general point. To finish off, the Sheikh says, uh, the Imam uh, Hajawi, the Hanbali, said it is recommended to carry your weapons with you. And this is the position of the vast majority of scholars, it's not obligatory. However, Sheikh Uthameen, Muhammad Mukhtar Shanqiti, the Bahiriya, they said, no, the ayah makes it very, very clear and uh, 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 hold on to your. Let them, and let them in Arabic means they must hold their weapons. Okay? And obviously not holding the weapons is causing a danger to the believers as well. So, um, and Sheikh even said that the scholars that said this, they said that even if, the, the, even if you hold blood to be najis, which is many positions, many scholars, you would have to then uh, still hold it. And it doesn't affect the prayer because of the emergency kind of situations. And there is no, rep there is no repetition in the prayer. So even if it's dirty, even if it's got the blood on it, it is to be uh, held. But this is not offensive weapons. These are all only defensive weapons. And it can't be distracting him from the prayer because the prayer, the distraction is the worst part of the prayer. And the most important aspect of the prayer is khushur. And if your action of holding your weapon is destroying your khushur, then what's the point of the prayer? Because the khushur is the prayer in its entirety. So if you're not able to focus and concentrate, then then what, what's left? And so knife and, and sword and everything, that doesn't get in the way and whatever. That's it, that's done. Uh, Alhamdulillah, we finished chapter four, 12 years. That means one every three years, huh? That's very good. I'll take that. So uh, the next uh, chapter will be chapter five, or sorry, volume five, and it'll be Jum'ah. So we start Jum'ah next week. Next three lessons, by the way, we're gonna do some Q&A now. But next three lessons are not in Shiro. Okay, I'm traveling and stuff, so it will not be in Shiro. Online, same time, 10 past 8. But obviously, um, well, I know literally hardly anybody here, and he knows even what the online platform is. And some of you guys do, mashallah. And uh, I can count you on four fingers, actually, how many people are online. Anyway, <coughs> be good practice for you to keep up and join the lessons online at 10 past 8 um, uh, over the next few weeks. Um, you know, what we've got to say, haram not to say, when it comes to Salat al-Khawf, you've got to step back and think to yourself just how insane a pillar and obligation the prayer is. 
like if this was like a discussion among secular kind of folks they'd be like laughing their heads off thinking you lot are absolutely crazy that yani, we're in existential kind of threat to life and to everything and whatever and you guys are talking about Prat. this would be like their absolute moment for them to kind of humiliate and of course they only humiliate themselves because they just didn't understand how much they owe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and what they didn't understand is how much Allah values the salah and if you're not allowed to miss the salah in these crazy circumstances then what do you think that we will say to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for how we miss that prayer or pray poor quality or pray like as if we're in a battle zone with no khushu'ah whatsoever and that's daily all the prayers that we do so these are the kind of points where fiqh and law should give us a good slap around the head towards our practice you know what I'm saying? I want you to reflect upon that and it's a kind of cliche kind of reminder but you know so be it it's the reminder that we need to hear delaying the prayer from its time is no joke and look at what the early companions how they used to yani, pray in what kind of circumstances and there are many folks that will never experience this and they'll be praying not to experience this and you know what the Prophet said don't make dua to face the enemy but when it comes then but when it happens then be steadfast yeah when it happens you've got to be ready for it and in the prep period that we're in, you've got to yani, up your game with respect to Salah. Alright? Alright, let's do some questions here. And then if you can, what do I do? Do I just press questions, yeah? Right. I'm just going to tell you folks that I've pressed questions, alhamdulillah. And there's two. One of them from Suraya saying, Asalaamu Alaikum. Alright? <laughs> Which is fantastic. So I can only answer those questions that are linked. So Ilyas asks, how does the second group finish with the imam? How does the imam know they are done and in their last sitting? That's, you know, Elias, this is coming from a person who has not done the imam position. When you're an imam, you know when everybody's done. Okay? Trust me, it's one of those things. People who pray, they're so unaware of how loud they pray. And when they finish the prayer, the silence is deafening. And you know exactly when to give salam. Okay, so... Yes, the Imam knows. So, am I being fair, Shaz? Yeah, that I should only answer that question because there's only that there. Shaz, we can't. We, we play yeah, any these exceptions of refreshing pages and stuff. Kicks me out. Got to go back in again. Now, then, got to press the question. Come on, that's cheating the system. Okay, fine. <coughs> I know you want to hear that as well. <coughs> in the Hadith of Mu'ad, did the follower have a valid reason? It was too long. Yep, that's what the reason was. For those scholars who said that the blood is najis. Did they allow these people? Oh yeah, yeah. we just answered that question. Alright, so I've answered all of the questions that were actually marked as questions. Anyone here? We good? Barakal, yep, yep, yep. Don't you dare hate on my guy. I saw you roll your eyes, you little rat. <laughs> yes, Idris, you go ahead. Yes. You're going to get me in trouble, aren't you? Really long one. Like, really. When is he going to end? You know what? You're going to need to ask your mum that question. Because if I answer it, I'm going to get in so much trouble. You're going to have to ask your mum. 
and your dad will tell you the same thing, ask your mom. <laughs> okay? But at the very least, you can go up to the Imam afterwards and say, Sheikh, Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for leading us in the prayer. I just want to say, but you've got to go up to me like this. Yeah? You say, Sheikh, you killed it, man. But not, but not in the way that you think. <laughs> you killed me and you killed everybody else and I couldn't think about anything. You've got to just say it out there, man. You've got to have that. Listen, today is the day of the memory of Anwar. That is 100% what he would say. You'd go up to that man and say, what's, what's going on here? Right. And uh, another, Elias says, uh, another example is uh, uh, when, of when to leave the prayer. If the Imam goes back down into Shahud after forgetting and then he stands up. Here, don't we have to leave the Imam? Yeah, that, that, that's, that's something different. That's legislated from the beginning. Because leaving the imam there is because we know that they're praying wrong. But we covered that in so many, uh, in so many lessons. Yeah, today unfortunately it was a bit long, but it's okay. Keep an eye out for um, uh, the fiqh of death. It will be released next week, inshallah, when I post about it, if that happens. Next three weeks travels. So stay online. And any other <coughs> announcements? Barakallahu bihamdika. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.